0: Most of you know the great commandment given to us by Jesus is to love God with all our heart and our soul and our strength and our neighbor as ourself. That's the great commandment. And before he left to heaven, he gave to the church what is called the Great Commission. That's our responsibility, our mission, and that is to go and to make disciples. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so as I thought about our church making disciples, well, we should do it the way Jesus did. He made disciples and he did it uh, I took three years uh, on this planet, Earth, so I teach a leadership one, which is about discipleship. I have a Saturday class, a Sunday class. I teach a leadership two on Saturday, uh, Thursday night, and I lead, teach a leadership three on Tuesday night. I also have a ladies leadership class, and uh, the first one it's uh, faithfulness is the key word, faithfully practicing the basic disciplines of the Christian life. And the second year is fruitfulness, uh, how to become fruitful as a servant of Jesus. And the third year is all about um, learning how to be a very effective, powerful witness for Christ and about how to be a functioning part of the body of Christ and your giftedness. And uh, so that's a cool thing. I love doing that. That's, uh, that's what I, basically what I do now. And so those who go to the class this year, of the three classes, of the ladies and the guys, there's about, uh, I think, close to 40, and 18 of them are going to speak Last week and this week. And I used to make it a requirement. Now uh, you can if you want and you don't have to because some said if they got up here, they would wet their pants. And so I didn't want that embarrassment on my shoulders. So uh, 18 will. We had nine last week. We'll have nine this week and three this evening. So I'm going to pray. And the first one's going to come up here. I forget who it is, but he'll know. And uh, he'll be right up here. Father, thank you for these people, each one that studied hard this last eight months and the work they put into reading, to memorizing. Uh, to writing, to doing assignments. Bless them. Use them for your glory in the days ahead. Speak through them tonight to each one of us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um,
1: For those of you that don't know me, let me back up a little loud there, sorry. Um, Those that don't know me, my name is Steve Dickman, and I'm here tonight with my wife, Karen, and my daughter, Casey, who's 21 going to college, and she's single. <laughs> She'll kill me after this. <laughs> and anyway, but I, I just want to give you a little background on myself. We moved here <clears throat> from Bend, Oregon, from, into Sublimity a little over 12 years ago, and we started attending JBC. It wasn't long after we became involved in the uh, Bible study with. Sam Duke, and along with Tom Zilverberg and his wife and some other people from JBC, we all had the same vision, and that was to do a church plant in in Oregon. After a few years there, we were led to go to a small church up the canyon to Lyons, Oregon, and I became involved in the leadership there. Over the years, we grew to love the people there, and I became, and we became a very united church family in time, uh, we faced some difficult spiritual battles there. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be persecuted, that in this life you would have difficulties, and just because you are in a church does not mean you won't avoid uh, battles, but rather you become a target. I realized that there were times when God calls us to stand firm in our faith and to be strong, and do, and do so, I learned that I was lacking in areas of my life. Well, fast forward to today. We came back here to JBC to become better equipped and to uh, strengthen our faith and our walk in God. I enrolled in D's class back in October 2018, the uh, leadership one. And uh, as we came coming to the end of this class, uh, D asked us to speak on something in the class that hit us, you know, that stood out the most and affected us the most. Well, the lesson that hit me the most was on bitterness. I know that that's not a very popular thing to be talking about, but if I wanted to be a champion for Jesus Christ, this is an area that I had to surrender. It's hard to admit that I struggled with this for many years, and I struggled with bitterness towards my mom. It affected the way I related to my wife, my daughter, and over the time, it became a huge stress and problem in my life and the lives of those around me. What is interesting is God started to work in me when I was in junior high, and I think he brought the sledgehammer down when I took Dee's class. And uh, so he said, get a clue, Steve. So tonight, I want to go over just a few highlights that were in one of our lessons by D, that was taught on bitterness. And some observations that I have of, of, my, of myself, and if you want to know more, you're going to have to take his class. First off, did you know that bitterness is the number one problem facing the church today with believers? The Webster Dictionary, Webster Dictionary uh, describes bitterness as extreme enmity, grudge or hatred, sharpness, severity of temper, bitter sarcasm, keen sorrow, painful affliction, deep distress of mind. Bitterness is the cancer of unforgiveness. Satan wants to destroy every act that God did for us, and that is in the area of forgiveness, and his tool is bitterness. So I want to take a look, let's just take a look at what God says. First off, he's God has forgiven us and our sins, and because of our faith in Christ, not of anything good we have done. But in Colossians, 3, or Colossians 1, 13-14, it says, "...for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin." In John 2.12 it says, I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you, you for, your, uh, for his name's sake. Second of all, because God has forgiven me, he commands me to forgive others. Ephesians 4.31-32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and clamor be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has said, forgiving you. Do you know that there are at least 13 consequences if we do not forgive? At least 13. Let's take a look at them. I'm not going to look at them all. I'm just going to go through a few. One, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Matthew 6, 14-15 says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Mark 11, 25-26 says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Second of all, if we have unforgiveness in our heart against someone, God doesn't want us in His presence. Matthew five twenty three through 24 Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first to reconcile your brother then come and present your offering. Third, if God doesn't forgive us our sins, He won't answer our prayers. In Psalm sixty-six eighteen, 18, it says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, He won't hear me. Have you ever found yourself asking, Why doesn't God answer my prayers? This is why it's so important to practice the seven disciplines of which one of these is a self-examination and confession of sins. If God doesn't forgive us our sins, we'll be turned over to the torturer. Having unforgiveness against a person means that we are out of step with God's plan. God has no mercy for someone that continues to sin and refuses to forgive others. In Matthew 18, 34 through 35, it says, And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same for you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Who would ever want to be turned over to the torturers? Today, many Christians. Live lives of torment, with blame, while blaming others for their circumstances, not seeing that the rooted problem is in bitterness and unforgiveness. Five, having unforgiveness in your heart, even when wrong is done to you, puts you in rebellion against God. But God is the ultimate judge. He says in Romans twelve nineteen, never take your revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Without God's forgiveness, He can't bless us. In Romans 4, 7-8, through 8, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and those whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will not take into account. A consequence of us having unforgiveness against a person is that we become out of step with God's plan for our lives. God has given us all, us, a purpose in life, and it does not include unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin, and that is the opposite of forgiveness, which God commands us to do. Joseph's forgiveness for his brother's and his acknowledgment of God's plan that turned bad things into good. In Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present results to preserve many people alive. If Joseph would have had a bitterness towards his brothers, had not forgiven in his heart then he would have been in rebellion against God for his plan for his life. So you may be thinking, what's the key to, uh, to forgiving others that have hurt you or someone you love? You may be thinking that they never will change because they keep on doing the same thing, and you have written them off and you never want to see them again. You may ignore somebody. You know, they offended you. So you're just, just going to give them the cold shoulder. You're not going to honor them. The problem with that is it's about your heart of unforgiveness. You cannot read the you can read the results that'll start happening in your life laid out in God's Word. Uh, John Hopkins University did a study on forgiveness called Your Health Depends on It. Here's what they had to say. Whether it is simple uh, spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found, that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improve the cholesterol levels, reduce pain, blood pressure, and levels anxiety, depression, and stress. Forgiving others is a commitment to loving them. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4-5, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account Wrong suffered. Ephesians 4, verse 32, and by chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Start developing the habit of forgiving quickly. Matthew six fourteen through 15 it says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Start memorizing God's Word. It says in Psalms 119, verse 11, it says, Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, there is a joy and a freedom in being a man that is free from bitterness and being used by God. We have been praying for an opportunity to share Christ with our neighbors there in sublimity where we live. And over the past five months, we've had at least four families in our home that do not know the Lord. We're building a relationship with them and getting to know them and them getting to know us. We're also... uh, Doing, laying the groundwork and uh, looking to this fall of, of doing a community Bible study in our home along with some guys that meet in our home on Saturday mornings for prayer and, and, and fellowship. And if there's any guys here that want to be a part of that group, just let me know. But we have a, a desire for God to use us. And I'm thankful that God has been using me in my life by taking care of our various important areas out in my life. I would like to close just by saying, if you struggle with bitterness and have a hard time forgiving others, or you find yourself becoming offended, then change your thinking and learn to forgive quickly. Start hiding God's word in your heart and take D's class. Let me tell you, that class is well worth it. Thank you. God bless you in your relationships.
2: Good evening, I'm Morgan Brown. Um, Several years ago, I became careless with my spiritual disciplines, and my life was therefore not producing the fruit God was hoping to see in my life. Um, Then I fell away for about six years um, and was not attending church, was not in any real fellowship, was not reading my Bible. In John's Gospel, Jesus describes the Father as a gardener and himself as the branch, And he says that Jesus said that every branch in him that does not bear fruit is cut off and thrown away, but that every branch in him that does bear fruit is pruned so that it will be more fruitful. On September 9th of last year, I bought a journal. Um, You guys had just finished, JBC had just finished a five-day prayer event, um, which I knew about because uh, even though I had not been reading my Bible or going to church for six years, I would still take a minute uh, every few months to scan the prayer letter still being emailed to me. Having drifted so far away from God, I did not believe he heard my prayers. Um, Every couple of months, I would see that uh, Ivy still had her list of people that she faithfully prayed for each week who had drifted away, and my family's name was still still there in the prayer letter. And at that point, I began reading the Bible again, using a Bible reading plan, and on September 9th, last last fall, um, I attended the Saturday night service Uh, on September 15th where Pastor Mike spoke on the three aspects and three distortions of grace after six years God opened my eyes to lies I had believed I confessed my sins to God and repented and made Jesus Lord and King of my life again confessing my sins and repenting brought me back into fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers it also brought incredible joy back into my life on October 10th last year, while driving home from work, I was prompted to pull into JBC and talk to Pastor D about taking the leadership class again, and here I am. Um, tomorrow will be our last class for the year. Uh, this last week, I found a brother uh, who is willing to be an accountability partner uh, to text or call through the summer uh, when people are most apt to derail their uh, daily spiritual disciplines uh, because they get busy. And I also joined a weekly accountability group uh, since my home group, uh, like most home groups, are are breaking for the summer. Um, Tonight I want to briefly discuss some of the spiritual disciplines that if practiced wholeheartedly and while humbly asking God's help every step of the way, uh, can keep a person, uh, can keep you and me from drifting away. Jesus said that apart from me, you can do nothing. He also said to his disciples who wrote the New Testament, that if they won't obey your teaching, they won't obey my teaching. Pastor D. just concluded a study in the book of Hebrews, whose main theme is not drifting away. Hebrews 2.1 says that we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Jesus and the apostles' commands are clear and repeated, founded in, in the Old Testament and prophets, law and prophets, and from the beginning, but because of our sin nature, it is routinely ignored, and if our hearts are hard, not even understood as something that we can do by His power in us. The basic disciplines I will describe momentarily will help us become what we are called to be. Christ's blood purchased possession, living not for ourselves and our personal interests, but rather for Christ's interest. His kingdom established in our heart and in every heart. The great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28 was to go and make disciples of all nations. But in order to obey that command, we must first be made a disciple ourselves. And before that can happen, we must believe the gospel, that Jesus is who he said he is, the eternal word that created the earth and the universe from nothing, and then became flesh and dwelt among us, that he came as prophesied in Genesis 3 to crush Satan's head, By dying on the cross, bearing the guilt of all of our sins, all the sins ever committed or to be committed, your sins and mine. According to Scripture, he rose on the third day and was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses who spread the message of the gospel all over the world, even though they were killed or persecuted for doing so. He ascended to heaven after being seen for 40 days, and per Acts 2, The church began after 10 days of prayer in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Acts 2.42 said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread or communion, um, and to prayer. The most emphasized disciplines exhorted in Scripture are these seven um, that Dee talked about in in our leadership class. The first is Bible reading, both memorizing and, and meditating on Scripture. The second is gathering. The third is worship. The fourth is seeking wisdom. The fifth is giving. The sixth is prayer, uh, both corporately and individually. And the seventh is self-examination and confessing, confession of our sins. It can't be overemphasized that if you aren't a habitual, everyday Bible reader, you will likely not be successful with any other Christian discipline. We've been given clear instructions by our King we insult him when we don't incorporate his to do lists throughout Scripture into our daily lives into our daily to do lists. Gathering with other believers is emphatically commanded in Hebrews, using the negative form of the command. In Hebrews ten, twenty four to twenty five says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And Pastor D explained in one of our classes that in the Greek, the word order in a sentence is only important for emphasis. But there's a uh, the, adding the letter alpha at the beginning of a, a Greek word m- makes it a negative. And so in that Greek, that verse in the Greek that says "Do not forsake the assembly" um, has a, an a in front of it, and it's put at the beginning of the sentence to give it a triple emphasis. Uh, to not forsake the assembly. As I learned the hard way, don't ever, ever, ever stop going to church to worship and fellowship with other believers. Um, there are no John Wayne Christians. Um, we need other believers. God will not bless our disobeying this clear, greatly emphasized command. Super bad outcome if you ignore uh, this, this verse. Next, the core um, 18 chapters of the Bible are Psalms and Proverbs. Worshiping God, seeking His face always, acknowledging Him always, fearing Him always, being joyful always, sing to the Lord a new song, etc. are some of the most repeated commands in Scripture. Our old human nature is uh, fine with singing a few songs if they are entertaining while we think about our day or what we have to do. But God desires and deserves more than that. 1 Corinthians 13 begins with the importance of our motivation, why we do any good thing. If we have not His love driving our lives, it means nothing and gains us nothing. All the basic disciplines are interconnected and interdependent. A good time for self-examination is before bed, when you get up, just prior to worship and quiet times and communion. Then once our sins are confessed and we are forgiven, we are free to worship with integrity and God can open up the scriptures to us, and we can hear more clearly what He is asking us to do to change and what He's asking us to change in our lives for our good and the increase of His kingdom. The discipline of confessing our sins after self-examination re- restores fellowship broken by sin. First John 1 9 says that if we if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But we know But we know what it is to fear God, for though mercy triumphs over judgment, we also know He will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. The hymn, Every Hour I Need You, speaks to our need moment by moment for God's provision. It recognizes that fellowship with God is meant to be unbroken. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The New Testament letters in Jude conclude with this wonderful praise— to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you unstained at his glorious throne. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says to believers in Christ that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. God rewards in countless ways now and then at his judgment seat those who diligently seek him and endure under hardship In the Internet age, we can, with a few clicks on our phone or on our computer, share the gospel or compromise our integrity. Timothy warns us to flee youthful lusts that war against our soul. These spiritual disciplines will provide us with accountability to God and to one another as we stop just going through the motions and truly make Jesus Lord of our lives. He will, as the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23, restore our soul. Memorizing scriptures such as Philippians 2:14 and 15, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And then regularly reviewing these verses and meditating on them will help you grow in Christ's character as you face increasing trials of your faith. The goal of our faith is Christ in each of us. We are God's gift to one another to help bring that about. As Christ's love is shed abroad in our hearts, we will become what we are called to be, what he calls us to be. These disciplines of practice wholeheartedly and while humbly seeking God's help every step we take are the best way to cooperate with what God wants to do in our lives.
3: Thank you.
4: Good evening. My name is Shane. And uh, so I just got done with D's Leadership 2 class and I got an awesome idea from him. He said that when he was a young man, he copied down the entire Bible into notebooks and that he would skip a line uh, for personal notes. And I tried to contain how excited and stoked I was when I heard him say that, but I really thought it was an awesome idea. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do this. So I started trying to figure out which book I would copy down. And I remember one time I needed counsel from Dee, and he told me that I was kind of an emotional guy and I should read the Psalms. And so I decided to copy down the Psalms. And um, so I was dating an awesome Christian woman at the time. And she would let me come by her house after work and her and I would sit there at the kitchen table and copy down a psalm together. And uh, afterwards, we would compare notes and just visit about what the Lord was speaking to us and what we got out of it. And I would recommend this to everybody, but especially if you're married or you're dating somebody, copy down the psalms together. So one major thing that stuck out to me was how many times I read verses that said, How blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, uh, and how, how blessed is he who hopes in God. Um, Psalm 84:12 says, "O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you." Psalm 31:24, "Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord." Psalm 18:30: "As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him." Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So I pondered on all these trust in God verses and I realized that I most of the time trust in my feelings and I fly by the seat of my pants and that's not good. And so uh, I've narrowed it down to three feelings that I seem to kind of go back to a lot of the time and I've got some scripture to contrast those. So the first one is feeling down. I got so down a while ago that I, uh, well, I'll just say it, I almost uh, wrote a country song. (laughs) And uh, seriously, though, I don't mean to make light of that because I know it can be a serious issue and some it's longer than others. So anyway, uh, while in the Psalms with Amanda, I... Psalm 4 really spoke to me, and the verses that were in it were 4 through 5, and it says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. See law. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And so that word meditate, I kept wondering. I read that before somewhere. Where did I read that at? And it's in Philippians, and it's Philippians four eight. And it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so uh, Amanda and I would go on rides besides copying down the Psalms. And on these rides, we actually took this verse here word for word And we talked about what was true in our life, ultimately, what was praiseworthy, what was noble, what was pure. And the longer you spend time focusing on these things, the longer the list gets of what you're thankful for. And the more things that you become thankful for, it seems like the more joy God just puts in your heart. So if you're feeling down and you've got a friend, I would go through that verse and just think about all the things in life that you're thankful for that God's blessed you with. And so another feeling that's common is uncertainty. There was a preacher who I really liked to listen to when I was a kid, and I found out that he still preaches. So I tracked him down, and I went to hear him speak. And uh, he was saying that he was tired of all the marketing techniques in the world and how they'll say, you should get that new car, you deserve it, or you really deserve this boat or house or whatever it is. You should get it because you deserve it. And he, I remember he said that uh, he was very glad and thankful that he wasn't going to get what he deserved. And so Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6 say, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, "...who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." And then uh, Ephesians one 13 through 13-14 says, "...in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." in whom, also having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2, 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, mar- the world has one marketing technique, though, that they are right on, and I was thinking about um, when they say, don't delay, act now. So today's the day of salvation, and if you haven't uh, entrusted the Lord as your personal Savior, do it now. Um, and if you need help with that, Dee or Brandon or Mike will help you. The last feeling is ridiculous, but it's sometimes it comes around. And it's wondering if God still loves you. Yes, God loves you. Isaiah 50, chapter, verses 6 through 7. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 15.9-14 As the Father loved me I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love Eight thirty-five, thirty-nine, and before I read it I got a really some really good quotes here by uh, Tim Keller I really like listening to him preach he God gave us the ultimate gift and do you think somehow that he's gonna let your life totally off the rails now he's not gonna deny you anything that you need this is the love you've been looking for all your life If he wouldn't abandon you then, he won't abandon you now. If he wouldn't abandon you when hell itself was coming down on him, if that didn't separate his love from you, do you think having a bad week is going to do it? Do you think that there is anything that you can do that could destroy his love for you when that couldn't do it? Or when bad things are happening to you all around and you say, I'm abandoned. If he didn't abandon you there, he isn't going to abandon you now. He spared not himself. The father spared not his own son. And Romans eight thirty five thirty nine 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for our sake, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And uh, so as I was putting, getting these verses ready and stuff for this, I was on the internet, and uh, I came across a pretty neat story um, Jim Carrey, there's an organization in Los Angeles called Homeboy Industries, and they, it's run by a reverend, and they take in former gang members and they help rehabilitate them uh, so they can have a new life. And so uh, they had a speaker there just recently, and it was Jim Carrey. And what he said was pretty good, and so I thought I'd just share it with you. He says uh, to the prisoners, ultimately, I believe that suffering leads to salvation. In fact, it's the only way that we have to somehow accept, not deny, but feel our very suffering and our losses. You being here, he said to the prisoners, is an indication that you made that decision already. You made the decision to walk through the gate of forgiveness to grace, just as Christ did on the cross. He suffered terribly and he was broken by it to the point of doubt and a feeling of absolute abandonment. Then there was a decision to be made. And the decision was to look upon the people who were causing that suffering with compassion, with love, loving kindness and forgiveness. And that's what opens the gates of heaven for all of us. I wish that for all of you. I wish that for myself. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, but it was funny, though, because after he said this, he kind of had this bewildered look on his face, and he said, uh, where'd that come from? And so... Anyway, thank you for hearing me out. Thank you, Dee, for your leadership class and for everything that you teach us. God bless you guys, and hope you have a great night.
0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for each of the men that spoke tonight. pray that you will use them in the days ahead as your disciples, as your leaders, and that they will bear much fruit for your glory and honor and that many people will be influenced and impacted by the lives that they live. Thank you for each one of them. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
5: I'm JB, JB Phillips. Um, I just finished taking Leadership 2 class from D. This winter I was up here and I talked about a couple of my goals. One of those goals was spend an evening a week with a couple of high school baseball players in the batting cages during the offseason. Last year, to finish up Leadership 1 class, I talked to you guys about being positive and encouraging to others, and somehow I worked in a College World Series illustration into that message. To keep with that trend of the last two times I've spoke to you, I'm going to talk about baseball again. I really enjoy the game of baseball. I've played more than 30 seasons in my life in some form from t-ball to slow-pitch softball. Currently, I play slow-pitch softball. I coach both of my kids' teams, a 7- seven-, 8-year-old team and a 9- nine- and 10-year-old team. To sum it up, I just love baseball. In Leadership 2 class, one of the verses we memorized was Colossians 3.23. Shortly after that verse, was committed to my memory, I was invited to join Jefferson's head coach on a three-day baseball clinic in Portland. This clinic had 300 high school coaches all around the Northwest who were there to listen to a dozen or so high school and college coaches speak. I took several pages of notes and learned a lot about coaching. The keynote speaker in the middle of the conference was Pat Bailey. For those of you who don't know Pat Bailey, he's the interim head coach of Oregon State baseball team. Bailey had some very insightful and motivating things to say about baseball and our priorities as coaches. The first thing he did was list his priorities. Number one is God, number two is wife, third is family, and the behind all those is baseball. He spent a fair amount of time sharing about his faith to the packed audience of baseball coaches. It was an awesome experience and very inspiring for me. Then he talked about what he called the man-building business. It was about his passion to drive and build young men up to grow in character and how he uses coaching to do that. In addition to coaching my kids' teams, I've been the assistant coach for the high school baseball team in Jefferson for the past two seasons. In class, D, said we should all have a ministry. I started praying very often about what my ministry should be and what I would get involved in. I was told from our, my classmates I should do something with kids since I do a good job with the little kids that I coach in the many different sports. I thought maybe coaching would be it, but I wasn't totally convinced. Once I heard Pat Bailey talk about character growth of his players and his man-building business, I knew the growth, and I knew the growth I personally had in leadership class, I received a great sense of direction that I should use coaching as a platform to help the high school players grow in character. Pat Bailey quoted a verse in the clinic, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for men. That was the same verse I had just memorized a couple weeks before. Pat Bailey couldn't remember the reference, but I did. I sang the verse in my head with him during his presentation, Colossians 3:23. After the clinic had concluded, I started what I call my baseball ministry. With support from the head coach, I began leading a character lesson a couple times a week during practice. I take Pastor D's material from leadership classes and make a condensed version out of it, or condensed lesson out of it. I've covered topics like wisdom, self-control, anger, toughness, time management, and diligence. Our team still has plenty of room for growth, but this season has been very rewarding to see so many positive changes in those young men. One of the most surprising things about working with the teenagers is the growth that I've personally had. Spending time praying and preparing a short lesson often forced me to reflect on on myself and where I personally fall short. I don't know how many times I've read or heard some material, and the very first thought is, man, I sure hope my wife's listening to this or reads this. Those of you who know my wife know she doesn't need as much improvement as I do. Really, I need to remove the plank from my own eye before I try to point out the sliver in others. I had a very similar moment this year when I did a lesson on diligence. I stole D's material from class and cut it down to four to five minutes. I used to think I was a pretty hard worker until I gave the diligent message to the team and what we as coaches expect from the players and why they should work hard. We ask that they give 100% to get the most out of the short time we have at practices each day so we can get better as a team. I thought about it myself in my life. Do I always give 100%? No, I frequently give just enough to get by. I told them being lazy is how we are born and we have to choose to fight the laziness and purposely choose to work hard. Do I always do the more difficult thing and work hard? No, I frequently take the easy way out. I had to end the lesson being honest. I told them that I'm not a perfect example to follow, but I'm choosing to get better and I want them to choose to also. Let's get the most out of of the short time we have together and get better. Every minute of every practice, we have to choose to get better and do the harder thing. Our season ended sooner than we wanted it to. In our league playoff game, we started the game very slow. We fell behind 5-1 to one. pretty quickly. It was the bottom of the seventh, and in high school, that's the last inning. We were gaining momentum, and we were working on a comeback. We had the tying run on third base with only one out. A, a potential sacrifice fly flew to right field, and I was sure that that was the tying run. And then it turned out the runner got thrown out at home to end the game. It was a pretty sad and difficult moment thinking that you had it and then it slipped away. We were so close but we came up short. Just like any game in this life when you don't win, you can look back at the game, play a few things through your head and figure out some things you could have done differently that totally changed the outcome of the game. I think about the analogy of baseball compared to life frequently. It sure would suck to get to the end of our life, sit at the judgment seat after the game of life is over, look back at some of the things we did or didn't do and wish we would have done something differently. By us choosing to be diligent and work hard with the things we, that have eternal consequences, the day of the judgment seat will be a lot better if we won't have to look back and analyze the game where we could have done better after it's too late. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Let's choose, to be, let's choose to do the harder thing and be diligent with everything in our lives. If you're thinking about the leadership class, if you're hesitant or curious, look me up, I'll tell you all about it. They're the best classes I've ever taken. Thank you.
6: Good morning. My name is Heather Norlander, um, and I was in D's Leadership Two class. It is for ladies also. Um, I confess that when I was um, asked to do this, I procrastinated and procrastinated. And I was trying, you know, I had all these different ideas going through my head. um, And then I realized what I needed to talk to you about was one of the very problems that I was struggling with. And it was really not feeling um, good enough. Um, you, there are people in this room that have been Christians longer than I have been alive. Um, and I'm sure that you're much more wise and much more set. Um, what in the world it, could I say to you? You know, um, One of my biggest struggles throughout my life has been the way that I think and thinking that I'm not enough. Um, This is a lie that Satan wants us to believe. Um, John 8, 44 says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth. Um, There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And one of the things that I realized throughout taking this class is that there is a Satan, and he does have power. Um, but he, we as believers are covered with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed and signed. And so Satan can't outright attack us. I mean, he can attack our health. He can attack... Um, you know, the family members around us, he wants to attack marriages for sure or relationships. But the way that he really gets his foot in our um, hearts is by getting it in our heads. And so he whispers to us all the time. Um, and he, if we, basically his concept is that if he can get us to believe those lies, it, it divides the unity that we would have with God. It divides the unity that we would have with each other. And it divides the unity that we have with our Lord Jesus. Um, So the thing about it is that he can't change the truth of who I am. He can't change the truth of who you are. But he can make us question it. And so all of these truths that we know when Satan starts whispering turn into a question mark in our heads, in our hearts. You know, am I really lovable? Am I really forgiven? Um, You know, do my prayers really get answered? I mean, one of the things for me is like, mm, if I don't see some kind of, um, you know, instant response, I think, oh, God hasn't heard my prayers. I wasn't spiritual enough this week. I mean, Miss Jean, now she's spiritual, and her prayers get heard all the time, but mine don't. Um, so it kind of got me thinking, um, and when I was a kid, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Um, I used to go to the Puyallup Fair and, um, it was a grand time. It was something we really looked forward to as children. Um, but I remember walking into the house of mirrors and I remember going through this maze and looking at all these different versions of myself, you know, you got the tall skinny one, you got the short little stubby one, you got... um, And I remember thinking, I kept searching for the one that I liked the best about myself. And um, deep inside, I was actually in search of a different vision of myself because I didn't really care and I didn't really like any of those that I saw. I look into the mirror and I saw worthless. I looked into the mirror and I would see failure. Um, I would see dirty, stupid, um, shameful, um, inadequate, abandoned, um, not good enough, unlovable. Um, And so, Several of you do know, but um, I was adopted when I was a kid. I was given up for adoption when I was two. And my parents were um, that this new family. On the outside, they looked great. Um, They looked very stable. They had their selves together. Um, But behind closed doors, um, my parents were alcoholics. And there was violence. Um, There was screaming and shouting. Um, my mother uh, was a bitter, angry person, and so she would say things to us kids like, oh, you can't do anything right. You, how can you be so stupid? You know, you're such a liar. Um, you'll never amount to anything. Uh, you're a troublemaker, And the worst of all was the one that was kind of pretty much only directed at me, was if you mess up, we can always give you back. And um, there's times that she would say to me, what's wrong with you? And I remember thinking as a little kid, I don't know, but something is, you know, I must not be lovable. Um, I felt like a burden I felt like um, I was dispensable and that, um, that really my, my life was worthless. Um, I remember being um, about 11 years old and um, a little background, by the time that, that I reached 11, um, I had been um, assaulted by three different men in my life. And so my whole vision at the time of 11 was that if I don't get out of this situation, I'm going to die. And I really thought that that was the case. Um, I was suicidal, and I talked to um, the police, basically, and that was foster care was sort of a new wish thing. I had never heard of it before, Um, but they basically took me out of the house and put me in foster care. And that's really when I, the healing for me started to begin. Um, I got a lot of um, advice from people who were not my parents. Um, I was able to go to counseling. Um, but I also learned about God and this um, place where somebody did love me and that I was valuable um, You know, Ephesians 6.12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, um, the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the uh, spiritual forces um, of evil in the heavenly realms. And so one of the things that I had to come to realize was that um, Satan wanted to attack me, yes, because... He knew that I would be a force for good. And each one of us has a story. And each one of us has something to offer. And so I implore you that um, you look to God's truths and really take a a firm look at what is going on in your thought process. You know, um, because what are God's truths? Um, I'm a saint. Um, I'm chosen. I'm loved. Um, I have the mind of Christ. That was a big one for me. Um, I'm wanted and cherished and desperately loved. And I am the daughter of a king. These truths are right there in God's word, black and white. But we have to reach out and seize them. We have to hold them true for ourselves. Um, And how do we do that? Because oftentimes, you know, even now I'll get into a spin and my thoughts are spinning and my mind's going. Um, First of all, of course, pray. um, Read the Bible. But also ask for outside help. Um, This was a a really big thing for me, was um, asking for help and learning how... To, um, to get other people involved and that it's not shameful um, and that it's not burdensome. When I was going to have children of my own, I was terrified because I had never been given a good example. And there was a woman at church, she had five kids, and they were perfect. Perfect. <laughs> And I didn't even know this woman, but I walked up to her after watching her kids for weeks and weeks, and I was like, Can I just hang out with you? I just want to see what you're doing. I, I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I think that I have, there's, you can teach me, you know? And so that was, and my kids are awesome. Um, so um, there is great examples in the Bible. One of them, Uh, You may know him. It was Moses. And Moses is one of my heroes, um, first of all, because he was also adopted. Um, But Moses got called when he was 80 years old. You know, a lot of people forget that. he was already past his prime when God decided to call him and use him. And the very first thing that Moses did was come up with a list of excuses why he couldn't do it. I wonder what was going through his mind. You know, by this time, he was already, um, he had run away from home. He was living on the fly. He had been married. He was a murderer. Um, And the very first thing that he says is basically, I'm not good enough. You know, who am I to go to Pharaoh and and rescue your people? Like, "Mm, that's not me. He was content where he was at. But he, that's not where God was going to be able to use him. And so God made him a little uncomfortable. And he had to actually think, I think about the thought process sometimes about how he really had to confront his fears and go back to Pharaoh. I mean, this was his home town, this was his homeland, even though he wasn't originally from there. Um, and God did not use or did not accept that excuse. Um, The second one is, I don't have all the answers. This is an easy one for us. Um, The third one is, people won't believe me, you know. And you can go back through the book of Exodus and read this for yourself. I'm looking at the clock, and I was told if I go over 15 minutes, I'm going to hell. So, Uh, Moses' next excuse was I'm not a good public speaker. And God basically blew down all of these excuses. And basically what he did was he equipped Moses to overcome these. Just like he has equipped you and I to overcome these. And so I, um, you know, his final one is I'm not qualified. And basically he's like, Lord, send somebody else. Like this, (laughs) it's just not working. Um, and God, of course, then at that point burned in righteous anger, and I'd probably back down, too. Um, so anyways, I just want to, like, fast forward to the ending and just let you know that all of us struggle with these mind thoughts. We, we all struggle with negativity. We all have paths, and we all have the choice to overcome them. And it's really what you do with that that could be the salvation for somebody else. So, anyways, have a great day. Thank you. I
7: always hate having to follow her. It's just kind of like, all right, here we go. Uh, My name is Brent Norlander, and uh, uh, kind of bringing up the last slot for the day. I'm not really sure what that means, but okay. we are asked to come up here and speak as part of the class, but for me, thinking about it, I was more of a, uh, I looked at different subjects, what can we talk about, and everything when I looked at my notes came back around, kind of, it all came back, this, this word character kept coming into my mind, and, and okay, what is that, you know, and for me, it was, it was about the training and the development of character, specifically godly character, okay, not being a character, I've been accused of that, so... Um, But so what what is character? Why is it important? Why do we need to have it? And most people, you know, character is loosely defined as what you do when other people aren't watching. And you can kind of fill in the blanks and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, But, uh, you know, honesty, responsibility, courage, kindness, all traits that we know that deep inside us, you know, we desire, we know those are good, we have them. And then, okay, well, who's the best example of that? Jesus, right? He had the perfect character, did everything right, and something to aspire to. So, if it's desirable and good, Jesus was uh, exemplary in that in that regard, and we're supposed to follow him. The why it's important kind of question answers itself. Um, we look at Second Corinthians five seventeen. If we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone; the new has come. So, how does the new creation happen? Okay, does does God just zap it into you and all of a sudden we're in great shape? No, it doesn't work like that. Or hey, I've been baptized and, and now these 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 great character traits are floating around out there and we just spiritually experience them and, and we're all good to go. Now sorry to say that doesn't work either. Be nice, but it's not gonna happen. So character development is is a is a process and it's also part of a bigger process. Uh, Kind of the the encompassing phrase found in Romans 5, uh, 3 through 5, we know this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Character, Character development is a key part in our quest to have the hope that ultimately connects us with and pleases God. So we can kind of see the process here, but seeing the word suffering in that formula kind of makes everybody cringe a little bit. Like, wait a minute, to do this, I have to to, to suffer? Like, yeah, you kind of do. Um, These changes need to happen within us. It can take time and it can be difficult. In our world, especially the modern world, we have quick fixes. We want immediate relief for everything. We see it in everything we do financially hey i don't have enough to really buy that right now well you don't have to suffer and save up you just ah oh, i got a credit card we'll do that oh, i don't feel so good i don't i shouldn't go home and rest i'll go to the doctor give me a pill i got to get back in the game and even in relationships oh you're not happy in your relationship don't worry about it just go get another one you know it's fine and so so we're fighting against that so the modern relief that we create in our world kind of quells the ability for us to naturally develop this character that is laid out for us in, in just kind of the process. It's not going to happen just because we want it to. So this is what I wanted to kind of hit on today, and using uh, the Scriptures to kind of base it up, uh, mostly Colossians 3, uh, as that gives us kind of a really cool framework uh, and description on what the process is in the development of Christ-like character. So we all know, it's like, yeah, I want to have good character, but how do you actually do it? You know, very seldom do we talk about what, what process is there. There's really six primary components to it. Um, we have to have the vision, see what we, what we know, what we want, change our minds, in other words, fixate on, on what we need to. The difficult one, address our instincts. Uh, that's the ugly one, we'll hit that. And uh, change of knowledge, and then change practices and consequently uh the dedication to wrap it all together so if we look at vision take the 30,000 foot view right colossians 3 1 says since then you have been raised in christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god okay do we see that god is the answer is he the focus or are we the focus so we can see what the vision supposed to be, to recognize Christ as being faithful and perfect, and also accept the fact that we are anything but. So we see where we are, where we are, where God is, and knowing what we are striving for. Okay, so now we got a picture, we got this vision. So now we have to focus on our change of mind or our perspective on things. Colossians 3.2, notice how this kind of goes chronologically there. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So keeping this vision, your mind follows follows this change. So if you find church and Christianity a weekly distraction, something that takes you away from your normal activities, doing things in the way you think during the rest of the week, you might want to shift back and address that whole vision component again and see, okay, am I really on the right track here? But if you are focused on Jesus in heaven and you have the hunger and the thirst to know more, to worship, to pray, to be with the church body, other believers, then you have set your mind in a position to be changed by Christ into the person that he has created you to become. If we look at Romans 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, you know, we focus on these things we see them, but, you know, are we really absorbing them? All right, so now we got the dust out of our attic, all right? Our minds are on the things above. We've got our vision. We know what's going on. The most difficult part coming in for me, certainly for me, uh, would be changing our instincts, our natural instincts. As much as we would like to believe that we are, you know, ingrained... And, and with God, we're not. We're actually the opposite. What we have inside us, our fleshly instincts, are not God's way. And we all have that issue. We're all fighting that at different levels, but we're all there. Our bodies in this world are naturally geared for sin. So a fight has to take place. That's where we go back to Romans, that suffering part. Here's the fight. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8 goes on, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Right? There's our directive. Fight against it. And it's not unique to anyone. We all have these. Maybe harder or softer in different areas, but we all have these things inside of us. For me, this is like a brick wall. Because uh, the most frustrating thing is realizing that no matter how hard I try, I cannot stop these frustrations, these natural instincts. And they're all within us. Um, so how do we deal with it? And I had to go back and look at it and say, well, what are, what are some comforting things to say, all right, this is, this is, a, this is a big deal. We're not, we can't fight our instincts. We need to understand that we cannot do this on my own power in my own way. I need help, and that means God has to help, and that means I depend on you people to help. Other believers, we need each other to do this. We cannot also completely achieve the death. We're given this directive, okay? Get rid of, get rid of all this stuff in your life. Unfortunately, we can't completely get rid of it as long as we are still alive in an earthly sense. Now, that's a little frustrating, They say, no matter how hard I try, we can't just totally wipe this out. The cool thing is, God knows this, and he does support us in that struggle. He does it two two main ways. There's grace, which is giving us something that we do not deserve, and mercy, which is not giving us something that we most definitely deserve. So we are getting supported, and you just tell yourself through these fights, you, you have that all the time. God's grace is always there. We have to constantly work on it. Instinct will take over if you let it. I always use the term, "Okay, the, the cheese is going to slide off your spiritual cracker, Okay, if you don't step back a little bit and say, all right, I have to keep this at the forefront of my mind. You constantly work on it. There are no followers of Christ that I've ever been aware of that have not struggled with sinful instincts at a certain level. You're not alone. These things are for everybody. And then kind of the last thing I realized, and D always pushes it, is you, you cannot just stop doing something without starting to do something else, okay? Replace that bad habit with a good one. So if you have to go get that 800-calorie mocha every morning when you go to work, and you know it's bad for you, and you do the math, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm spending $100 a month doing this, eee, okay, if you just try stopping it, you're going to start twitching, and you don't have your coffee, and everything goes sideways, right? Well, replace it with something, make it at home, do it at the office, bring something to eat with you, whatever it takes, but help mitigate, soften that blow a little bit. Replace it with something good. So, fighting these sinful instincts is something that will never go away, but we know the fight or the suffering is going to breed that endurance that's going to develop our character that we are all called to have. Alright, so now we've got our mind, we're fighting our instincts, we know this. Even further, we have to bolster that by changing our knowledge. Okay? The why and what to do part is always digging into me going, okay, okay, how do I do this? How am I going to get better? Just fighting, it's hard. Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after its creator. So we need the knowledge to guide us and know what God expects from us. Now, we get all kinds of feedback on how to be from the world around us, media, family, society. Uh, other people, teachers even. But how do we know where the real change comes from? Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So while getting the how-to-be information from other people may be good, hopefully it's good, Really, if you want the baseline, the, the, the unaltered version, it's in the scriptures. And that is why it is so important. That's why you hear Pastor Mike, Pastor D, other folks here at JBC. You've got to read that Bible every day. There's your support. That's the backup. The real information is going to keep your knowledge, keep your mind clear, and keep you focused on being able to fight these instincts. Think like God wants you to think. Character-defining thoughts come in time only with the development of the character, but we have to change our practices. Physical application of these changes are what we're thinking about. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, clothe yourself, physical actions, going out and doing something, not just doing it in your mind, but actually getting in the game, which is essentially practice. Think back to Romans, suffering to get endurance, okay, part of changing your practices can actually feel, again, like that suffering. It's not fun. Now, we don't want to get depressed here uh, because we, we never ultimately arrive at having the perfect Christian character like Jesus had, but we should grow, be growing daily in the display of it. That's one of the main things these leadership classes. What are you doing? Okay, display that he always says you don't have to act the way you feel right okay. my kind of uglier version is that fake it till you make it but it's true if you think about it it's like you are controlling those instincts inside you by not performing according to those instincts you are rising above that and if you focus on that it will, it will end up altering your character you may never totally get it under control but hopefully you'll be get better you're getting better all the time. So what really counts is that progression. If you're a bowler, you may may never bowl a perfect score, right, but if you go out there and you do it every day or a couple times a week, your score should be getting better and better over time. You wanna be perfect, you may never be there, but you're gonna get to that point where you are achieving things. God wants us all to change from the inside out, which is essentially character development. But he will not just light a fire under us We're not going to get zorched with a lightning bolt to make us into perfect people. I know, spoiler alert, right? You can't just get baptized and there we are. On the contrary, he actually expects a little bit of cooperation from us. Imagine that. So, to change the character, we need to practice. And almost like, I always think of it like, I always have to use a sports analogy. It never works. I can't say anything without doing that. You have to train like, you're, you're this... You know, if you're a holy athlete, we're running the the endurance race, okay, for the ultimate prize at the end. But this character development is part of our training. It is a piece of the puzzle. Um, Very important, um, you know, for me because the character uh, is such a defining aspect of who we are and what we can do. What's your practice now becomes habit later. So if you keep practicing, even though you're fighting against those things, you do it again and again and again, and pretty soon it evolves into a habit. And the accumulation of these habits turns into your character. So the practice isn't always fun. You're going to be fighting those instincts. But if we approach it like being on a team, here's our team. These are all your teammates, okay? It's much easier to train and perform with a team. We've got coaches, Mike and D. right? I don't know who's the offensive and defensive coordinator, but we'll, f- we'll figure that out. <laughs> But they're coaches to help you develop, support you, motivate you, and hold you accountable. So character grows out of these true processes of, of, of progression. But the last piece of it is dedication. Uh, you have to do it day in and day out. You can't say, okay, I'm going to work on it this week, but next week I'm on vacation, I'm just going to go back to being me. It doesn't work like that. You, you have to stay on it constantly. And we have to focus on the Lord in that dedication with Him to get that godly character. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through Him. So what separates that conversion from just self-improvement to God-improvement, we change our dedication. Godly character is within all of us, but revealing it is a process. As your character evolves... You can become known for being that individual that gives inspiration to help to others, to help train, and that's what we're all called to do. We all get better, we bring up the next room. We go get disciples, we pull them off the street, we find them where we can, we bring them in behind us, make the team bigger. So strive for character, character development like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of free will, the opportunity to decide and control what we want to become. We pray for the strength to please you through our development of character, to change from being self-focused to Christ focused, to overcome our sinful instincts, and through our efforts in your gifts of grace and mercy, become more like Christ in our hearts. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
8: Uh, Good morning. My name is Casey Thomas. I've been in one of Pastor D's leadership classes for the past several months, and as you've heard, part of the graduation process. is getting up here and talking in front of all of you. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that today. We're supposed to talk uh, for 12 minutes about one of the most impactful lessons um, that we've learned in class. And Pastor D makes things like this sound so simple because he's Pastor D. Uh, he has that way of making you think that it's uh, no big deal to talk for 150 words a minute. And uh, before you know it, you've committed yourself to just doing it and sitting down, trying to figure out what you're going to say. So... Before I get started, I just want to let everybody know I'm not going to make the 12 minute mark, so you're all off the hook. Um, I have to be honest, I really wanted to come up with some great things to say to make everyone really proud and to sound like I really knew what I was talking about. I figured if I could do that, that I'd make my kids proud and they would think I was almost as cool as Pastor Dean and Pastor Mike and I could make a run at my father-in-law Gary Howell's record-setting score he posted in this class last year. Although Gary's quite the fisherman, so you'll just have to take his word for it that he did so well. <clears throat> but truth be told, as, as today got closer and closer, I, I really didn't want to stand up here and sound like a hypocrite or someone who is a know-it-all. You see, I have slid back several times since this class started, and I really didn't think it would be a good idea to talk about an impactful sermon because I'm definitely not the best person to talk about such things. Sometimes I feel like I've slid back into the 80% of people that Pastor D talks about who take this class and do what we're not supposed to do, and that's drift back. After talking with my family about it and expressing what I just explained, um, I was convinced that I should talk about what I just described and use it as a lesson to learn from, which is a reminder that we're all human, and in the flesh we are not perfect. We all will sin. But by examining your life for sin and confessing those sins every day we can be forgiven and continue to grow closer to God as 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness well since I didn't exactly sell myself without an introduction I wouldn't blame any of you a bit if you want to get up now and beat the rush to the coffee line however if I had just heard that I would probably be thinking if this guy can make it through the class anybody can so just stick with me for a little bit longer, I will try and finish this talk better than I did these class and hopefully use something I learned as a positive example and motivation to continue trying to grow and finish strong in the race we're all running together. Some of the most impactful lessons have been those about accountability, gathering, and wisdom. But it seems like I'm always thinking back on those things when something in life happens and it reminds me of something I've heard before in church, a good book, or in scripture. <clears throat> But what's, what's most impactful to me is seeing how God's wisdom and accountability are found in other people or gathering. This is something that Pastor D. regularly touched on in our classes and something I've heard him preach about before. He likes to call it one-anothering. That phrase is one that makes sense and it's one that's easy to do, yet sometimes is the most difficult to accomplish. Gathering is one of the seven basic disciplines of the Christian life and one that many, myself included, often ignore. We all need each other and the church is the church when we all gather together. The same can be said about our family and friends, so I want to talk about a few examples of how one anothering and other lessons I've learned can be found in our everyday lives. A few weeks ago, a friend passed away. It was completely unexpected and way too soon for the life of somebody so young and so amazing to be taken. I've always thought of him as an incredible person with a strong work ethic and unequal devotion to his family and his faith. What I didn't realize until after he passed is how much wisdom this person had. He was a big-time jokester and a guy who could really pull off some pranks or give a guy a hard time about just about anything. But looking back, there's no doubt he was filled with God's wisdom. He was a guy who had a tremendous sense of joy in his heart and the person that others just wanted to be around and spend time with because of the kind of person that he was. We never really spoke about anything profound or super whiz-bang. We just spoke mostly about our families, And he always had a genuine interest about what was going on in my life. Since his passing, the same question has been asked over and over, and I've even asked it myself, why him? Why would such a great dad, husband, son, brother, and friend be taken so soon? I know that all the wisdom in this room combined will never answer that question, but I'd like to think that whatever the reason was, his passing has brought the people he touched in this life closer to the Lord. It also puts things into perspective and makes you evaluate what you're doing every day to finish strong because there's no guarantee when your race will end. Another great example of one anothering or gathering together to receive God's grace can be found in those around you who are humble, wise, and genuinely insightful. I'm lucky to have someone like that who made a commitment to finishing strong and is continually seeking wisdom and accountability. This person is my father-in-law. You know, the fisherman I mentioned earlier who tells tall tales. But all kidding aside, he has truly been a powerful influencer in my life and someone I genuinely love, respect, and look up to. And since Gary is a fisherman, I will use Pastor D's farming analogy of what you reap what you sow, but in a slightly different way. You see, my father-in-law knows that to bring those he loves closer to God is just like fishing. Catching a big fish isn't easy, and keeping little fish on a big hook is even harder. He knows that if he's going to bait those around him, big or small, just like fish, to accept Christ and be hooked for life, he has to master his art through his own trials and experience to gain the insight and wisdom to see below the surface and help us all see the same thing too. As Proverbs eight fourteen says, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight and I have power. My father-in-law is definitely getting as much out of fishing as he puts into it and has landed some of the biggest fish he can brag about for years. He's influenced and challenged me to be a better Christian, father, husband, son, and brother, but more more importantly, he has helped my children see everything that God can do for them by simply believing. This is something I can never thank him for enough. And since I'm terrible about telling people how I really feel, I'm glad I've had the opportunity to speak today about the experiences in this class, which has also allowed me to thank someone like my father-in-law, Gary, for holding me accountable and allowing God's grace to flow between us in a humble relationship where there's a lot of encouragement. So thank you, Gary. I love you. With everything I've spoken about today, I just want to close by saying that no one is perfect. There will always be things we can do better and things we'd like to change. And there is always someone doing those things great, so why go through life alone or without counsel? If we want to finish strong, be told one day, well done, my good and faithful servant." We have to hold each other accountable and share the wisdom that each of us possess to those seeking it the most, because that is how we receive God's grace. We get it from others and we give it to others through our words and by being humble. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today, but more importantly, I just wanna thank everyone for accepting my family into this church. And while Dee said not to go over 15 minutes or I would lose my salvation, he failed to provide any credible threats that if I came up short of the goal of 12 minutes, So, with that, I'll apologize now to the people who have to pay for it next year in his class. Thank you very much.
9: Hi, my name is Kaylee Kinsey, and this year I decided to take um, Pastor D's leadership class for ladies. One thing that I enjoyed about this class was the ability to focus on listening without many distractions. Um, I have a bunch of kids, so I'm always distracted. I decided to take this class because I wanted to learn and grow, and I felt stagnant where I was at. And I was hoping to be encouraged to make some new goals. One thing I don't want to give up is my commitment to Bible reading and prayer. I have decided today to speak to you about something that has been in my heart since not long after we started going to church here. I am going to speak to you today about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something I have struggled with my whole life. When we first came to church here, I had never heard anyone talk about forgiveness like Pastor D did, and I have gone to church my whole life. I am using some of the ideas from one of Pastor D's sermons, but I put my own spin on it. Forgiveness is defined as a purposeful choice to release feelings of vengeance and or a grudge toward a person that has wronged you, whether or not it is deserved. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. When you don't forgive and are bitter, you're missing the grace of God. The only way to get rid of bitterness is forgiveness. God expects us to forgive because he has forgiven us. Ephesians four thirty two and be ye kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. When we do this, we forgive without expecting anything in return, not even a sorry. It's easy to forgive someone that is truly remorseful. It's much harder to forgive someone that isn't sorry and we might never hear an apology from. Most of the people in my life that I forgave were either too prideful to apologize or never knew they had even hurt me. Giving grace is forgiving even when it is not deserved. Forgiveness is giving God the right to take care of justice. When we forgive, we are giving up matters into his hands. While doing some searching for more ideas about what to write, I came across a story about a school full of almost children that were taken hostage and killed by a man. Within hours of this happening, the families of these children were all already comforting the man's wife and parents. One of the fathers made the comment that this man had a mother, a wife, and a soul, and now he is standing before a just God. This family was obviously hurting. They chose to let God do His justice instead of harboring anger and unforgiveness. If we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. When I have forgiven the people in my life, I feel clean like a weight is lifted off my chest. I have a desire to pray for those people and want good for them instead of evil. Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving each other. If any man have complaint against any, even as the Lord forgave you, so also do ye. If God doesn't forgive us our sin, He won't answer our prayers. When we don't forgive, our relationship with God becomes broken. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I want my prayers to be heard and answered by God. Mark eleven twenty five to 26 And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have audience against any, that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Galatians 6, seven. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will experience the full consequence of sin. In order to have our own sin forgiven, it is necessary to forgive others. If God doesn't forgive us our sin, He can't bless us. Romans 4, 7 through 8 saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. One of the blessings from God can be good health. Doctors say that forgiveness improves relationship, decreases anxiety and stress, and lowers blood pressure. If God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will feel guilty. When I wouldn't forgive someone, I would feel like I was being eaten alive. Every time I thought about them, I would feel the anger as if the incident happened yesterday. Psalm 38, 17-18 For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. We will have no influence in the life of someone that we don't forgive. This one really hit home for me. There were people I was angry at, but I still wanted to be part of their lives. How was I supposed to be a good influence on them if I was angry at them? Who wants to listen to someone that speaks to them in anger? The time to forgive is right away. The sooner you forgive, the better. You know the old saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. The longer you let things simmer, the angrier you will be. When I think about forgiveness, it reminds me of an essay I wrote as a seventh grader. The title was, It's Not Hard to Make a Decision. As an adult, this seems laughable. Coming to a decision is much harder as an adult than my seventh-grade brain thought, just as I thought decisions were easy until I had to make them. Many people think that forgiveness is easy until they have to act on it. Don't say it's okay. Instead, say I forgive you. I always used to tell people, oh, that's okay, but it wasn't. I was still irritated, and when I didn't let them apologize and display forgiveness to them, I would feel as if they didn't care. The honest thing would have been to say that hurt, but I forgive you. The key to forgiving others is to commit to loving them. It is a way of showing your love and commitment toward others in your life, especially family members and friends. You can't show someone God's love without your heart being in the right place toward them. God is the ultimate source of love. If you don't know love, you don't know God. First Corinthians thirteen four through five tells us, "Love suffereth long and is kind." Love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave unseemly, seeketh not its own, is not provoked, and taketh not account of evil. Forgiveness can be letting go of the same sin by the same person over and over. It takes practice, practice, and more practice. Forgiveness is more of an ongoing battle for me, depending on the person in the sin. One decision that has helped my prayer life is that when I pray, and my mind goes off topic, and I start thinking about someone that I might not be on good terms with, that I choose to pray for them, then I feel as if my heart is in the right place toward them. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the person on the receiving end always deserves a forgiveness. We can take direction from the story of Stephen in the Bible. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he called out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Although his murder deserve deserves forgiveness, Stephen gave it freely, just as we should— Whenever we think about how we may not want to forgive a particular person because they are not worthy in our eyes, we can remember how unworthy we are of forgiveness in God's eyes, and that it is only by grace through His Son that we are forgiven. Jesus was asked how many times He thought we should forgive someone. He answered, not seven, but seventy times seven. Jesus wasn't asking us to keep track of how many times someone hurts us. He was giving a large number to say that forgiveness should be limitless. There's no limit to God's love and forgiveness towards us, and there should be no limit toward our love, to our love and forgiveness toward others. Thank you for listening.
3: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, Romans 12.1. Hello, my name is Stephen Kinsey. I took Pastor D's leadership class so that I would have the opportunity to learn and grow in Christ at a faster rate than I'd ever be able to do on my own. That I myself, as 2 Timothy 2.21 says, may be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. There are so many distractions in life in this era that slow us down, that distract us from running the race for Christ to the fullest, from bearing fruit as we're all called to do, essentially causing us to lose valuable time whereby we could have been growing and being fruitful, but instead we shrug it off and justify it by thinking everyone else does it. First John 2:15 through 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We as Christians are the body of Christ. We are to be the branches abiding in the vine, bearing fruit. Ephesians five thirty nine for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth no fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it may bring forth more fruit. In most areas in life, it is a no-brainer to work hard, to de- dedicate lots of time and energy, and to encourage others around us working toward the same goal. You can go to most sports events and see that depicted with the participants doing their best and the crowd cheering them on. We can also observe it at the workplace where there's a common goal, typically to get a job done, and everyone does their part to achieve the end goal. But when it comes to the church, that focus and dedication are lost by most. I heard a story on the radio a few days ago where a pastor went up to a gentleman after the church service and said, I just wanted to thank you for always showing up on time. You haven't missed a single day in five years, by which the man replied, being here is the only break I get where I can just relax and not think about anything. We don't want to end up like that man where we spend all our energy at our jobs and on our own worldly ambitions and just use church as an excuse to take a break and not think. So what can we do about it? I believe one of the most powerful things we can do is getting more involved with our church body, starting by faithfully gathering with fellow Christians at the church weekly. We are commanded to gather together, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The less we gather together, the less chance we have of receiving or giving to the church body the benefits that are only available to us when we are with fellow Christians. We are called to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Sometimes it doesn't Take much on our behalf, and we can be be an an encouragement to others without even knowing it. We are encouraged to pray for each other. Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Paul was always praying for the new churches as people got saved and the church was being established. I'm sure you all have heard Pastor D encouraging everyone to join an accountability group. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Romans fourteen nineteen. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. If we join an accountability group, then we will have a group of people to not only help us obtain our current goals, but to inspire us to achieve greater things than we could ever have thought possible on our own. Romans 12.2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we get more involved with the church and with fellow Christians, then our focus will slowly change from the normal things of the world to like-minded goals to serve the church, to grow personally in our walk, as well as to help the church itself grow. And as we renew our mind and change our focus to eternal things, we will become more aware of what is truly important. We will become aware of who needs encouragement, aware of who needs special prayer, who needs a helping hand. And perhaps when we're out in the midst of the world, we will have been encouraged enough and prayed for enough that when an opportunity presents itself, we might be able to witness to others effectively to lead them to the Savior and bear Him fruit.
10: I just want to thank all you guys that shared today. It really inspired me and I really appreciate it. You guys did well. I'm Aaron Haas, and uh, um, I've been going here to JBC now for just over two years with my family. And uh, the first year, uh, Dee was starting to bug me <clears throat> about joining the leadership class, and I put him off because I had so much stuff going on at home at the time. And it was quite humorous because I told him first I got to build my house, I got to mow the field, I got to plant the, you know all the stuff. But it was true, I did have that stuff I had to take care of, but this year I was able to take it and I'm so glad I did because it's, it's made a big impact on my life. So, here we go. Um, I want to know how many of you guys have seen that Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, The Search for the Holy Grail? Uh, I know I have. And uh, at the end of the movie, there were three challenges that Indiana had, had to pass in order to get to the Holy Grail. This was a quest to find eternal life through immortality. The first challenge was, was, on, was only achieved by a penitent man. Indiana and his father repeated this over and over again until it dawned on them that only a humble man who kneels before God will pass. The second challenge required following the footsteps of God. Indiana had to step only on the stones that signified the spelling of God's name one letter at a time. The third challenge required a leap of faith to walk in the path of God. Indiana had to trust that when he took a step off what looked like a cliff, he would not plunge to his death, that God would safely direct his steps. I've been facing, faced with these three challenges recently in my life and over the past eight months in Leadership One class. Number one, how to humble myself before God. Number two, how to walk in God's footsteps. And number three, how to take that leap of faith and surrender my life, my will, my future to the one who has a perfect plan for me. In Leadership One, we learned about the seven disciplines of the Christian, about seven disciplines of the Christian life and how to put them into practice in our daily lives. Those disciplines are Bible reading, prayer, worship, giving, asking for wisdom, gathering together, and self-examination or confession of sin. Two of these disciplines have been challenging and life-changing. They are Bible reading and prayer. Throughout my whole life in church, Awanas, Christian schools, and Bible college, the Bible was a textbook or was used in reading or memory competitions. As a result, it rarely ever made an impact on my life through conscious effort. God, however, has used it in my life subconsciously. Isaiah 55, says, Your word will not return to me void. I am so grateful for that because now that I humbly come before him in the word, he has brought those scriptures back into my heart and my mind. They have been a great source of power in my daily walk in overcoming sin and temptation. Psalms 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man, or in my case, as my son would say, an old man, keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen it says, No temptation has seized you, but that, is com- that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out <clears throat> so that you can endure it. I have learned that doing it on my own and in my own power did not and will not work. I had to humbly come before God as I read his word. Through faithfully reading God's word and walking in his steps, we increase our desire and motivation to pray, and also it increases our power and effectiveness when we pray. John 15, 7-8 says, If you abide in me and my words remain in you, ask anything you wish. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This is not a genie in the bottle moment. This is a disciple of Christ that is asking for the tools and resources to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. This brings me to our lesson on prayer. Dee always mentioned this and it was stressed in our our, uh, lesson on prayer. And it was that much prayer equals much blessing. Little prayer equals little blessing, and no prayer equals no blessing. We learned in leadership class that, uh, that prayer is one of the most neglected disciplines in the church today. Satan does everything in his power to keep Christians from praying because he knows that this is the weapon that causes them to lose power, access, and control in our lives. As a Christian prays, God empowers him to win the battles he faces in life. But there's a secret weapon that most Christians fail to take advantage of, and that is corporate prayer. Matthew 18.20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. (coughs) Excuse me. Satan knows that if we come together in prayer, that we have strength to remove strongholds, bind them up, and that God moves in great and powerful ways. Second Chronicles 7:14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Imagine what could happen in our homes, in our church, in our cities, our state, our country and our world if we believers tested God by doing this. I have prayed my whole life wimpy prayers, prayers of a man who hadn't feasted on the word of God. I look at it all, at all my cheesy prayers I've prayed in the morning and at meals and at bedtime and think God has probably been yawning and saying, there goes Aaron praying that same old prayer again. I wonder if Aaron ever is going to realize I can do way more than he's asking for. Why does Aaron ask for so little? Doesn't Aaron know I'm all-powerful? Doesn't Aaron know I delight in working in and through his life? I now know all these things. I still feel like I pray poorly, but I am learning and I have a desire to pray and pray with power. I want to be the man described in James five sixteen b The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I have wasted too many years of my life neglecting the power and strength available to me in Christ Jesus. Enough is enough. I won't go back, and I won't give up. I'm excited for where God's leading me. I've got a long way to go, but by His strength and encouragement for my family and accountability group, I'm growing. I've got my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What more do I need? I want the rest of my life to count for Him, And the only way I know how to thank him is to surrender all my life to him. At this time, I'm not a singer, but I would like you to join me in a hymn that I just have come to be my prayer. And it is is the hymn, I Surrender All. So if you guys could, I will start and you guys can help me. All to Jesus I surrender. daily live I surrender all I surrender all All to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all All to Jesus I surrender Humbly at his feet I bow Worldly pleasures all forsaken Take me, Jesus, take me now I surrender all I surrender Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour, <clears throat> I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender, Lord. I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender. Savior, I surrender all. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you for this chance to share and thank you for what you're doing and through the lives of all of us who have been taking this leadership class. Lord, I do surrender my life to you and the rest of my life, and I want it to count. Lord. I pray for all of us who have made that choice too in our leadership class that we want our lives to count. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.